So now I'm going to do two readings. Uh, The first one's going to be from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And my second reading is going to be from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was in the light of was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And now I'm going to pray for Christian and his talk. Dear God, uh, I pray for Christian and his talk, and I pray that we can learn from it and that you speak through him. Amen. So, does it work? Yeah, great. That's always the first thing I need to check when I'm preaching somewhere, that the microphone is switched off during worship. Uh, It's so embarrassing, uh, especially if you only knew how bad I'm at singing. So, thank God that I switched it off during worship. So, it's really great to be here, um, especially with this topic. Um, It's very exciting. But when I heard uh, first of this topic... Creation, what about dinosaurs? I thought, well, well, what about dinosaurs? What's the issue? They're great. They're lovely. They're cool. I like them. So what's the problem? I remember when I was a, a child, I spent all my pocket money on these magazines that came out once a week, and they had these uh, little pieces of uh, 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 parts of a skeleton, of a, uh, like the, uh, the wooden parts of a dinosaur skeleton with them. So it took me all my pocket money, and after two months, I had my first dinosaur skeleton made of wood, ready, made in my, my room, and I couldn't afford another one, but I, I really loved it. So, but then something happened, and I saw my first Jurassic Park movie. Has someone seen this movie? Of course, some, of course we have. And then I thought, hmm, maybe dinosaurs are not as lovely as I thought, and I became kind of glad that they are extinct now. Yeah, a little bit. My favorite one was, of course, this one. T-Rex, right? Don't, was also your favorite. I'm especially happy that this one is extinct. I, maybe it was a little too frightening, but then again, I read something, because um, I wanted to really know, are they frightening? Do I have to be afraid? Or can I pray, God, please make them alive again? Um, and I found out that they, some scientists actually say that the T-Rex is related to the chicken. So I thought, oh, maybe they're not as frightening anymore as I thought. Can you imagine if they are not ex- wouldn't be extinct by now, going to a KFC and ordering a bucket of T-Rex hot wings or something like this? Doesn't seem so frightening anymore, I think. So what about dinosaurs? What's, what's the problem? What's the problem? Some people may think, oh, it doesn't really fit to the Bible, maybe. Maybe that's a problem. So they may think something like this. Jesus was, wants to get rid of all these dinosaurs. Yeah? Get away. You're messing with my story. You're destroying my story. Get away here. Yeah? That's what some people may actually think. Um, but I wonder if it's true. Maybe you've heard these objections also. Is that really true? So what does the Bible actually say about dinosaurs? 
Does the Bible contradict dinosaurs? Does someone know when the last book of the Bible was written? Roughly. Any clue? Any ideas? Bless you. <laughs> Say sorry? Yeah, something like this. So in the year 90, maybe in the year 100, there is some debate around it. But that's the latest book, the Revelation of John, around 9100. So all of the other books are way older. And in none of these books appears the word dinosaur. Hmm. Why is that? Well, basically kind of the same reason why we don't find the word cell phone or MacBook in the Bible. The word dinosaur was invented much later, 1841. A nice uh, scientist, very intelligent guy, Sir Richard Owen, invented the term dinosaur. So it, in biblical times, they didn't have the word. So, you know, when someone is getting up here and preaching, you normally, as a preacher, you want to be, you want to sound sophisticated and clever and smart, so you use a lot of old Greek words, right? You know that? In every sermon, you have to explain a Greek word. So you can do the same with dinosaurs. Because the word dinosaur, actually, is a Greek word. Dinos means something like terrible. And soros means nothing like a lizard or a reptile. So a dinosaur is just a very terrible lizard. Nothing else. So don't be afraid of them. So that's actually no problem. And what is also interesting, that in the book of Job we find a very interesting description of, a, of an animal called the behemoth. And if you read this description, then it, it must be a very big animal with a huge tail. The tail is compared to a cedar, so a very big tree. And the animal is so big that it lives, it lives both in the water and on land. And it's so big that even the big waters of a big, terrifying river can't harm them. And it is so big that it's even called... Uh, the first of the works of God. This is to say that it's just the biggest animal. So, of course, we don't know that, that kind of animal anymore. It might be an elephant, but the description to the tail doesn't really fit to it, right? So maybe, as I love dinosaurs, maybe even the book of Job's, Job talks about an animal that is a kind of uh, dinosaur. But, of course, they hadn't, didn't have the, the word in these days. What is also interesting, maybe you have heard from my strange accent and my weak English that I'm from Germany. And in Berlin, in the museum in Berlin, we have this replica of the Ishtar Gate. And I find it absolutely fascinating. The Ishtar Gate was part of the city wall of the city of Babylon. It, it was one of the greatest cities in the ancient times. And it appears quite often in the Bible, especially in the book of Daniel. You may know Daniel was captured, brought to Babylon. So he walked through this gate a lot of times in his life. And what's interesting is, you find three kinds of animals on this gate. Because the god kings of Babylon chose uh, strong animals to represent themselves. One chose a strong lion, one chose a strong ox, and the third one chose this nice animal here. So how does that look like? It doesn't look like an animal we have nowadays, right? It looks like a dinosaur, a reptile, a lizard. Look at the head. Look at the skin. Or, as the people then called it, they didn't have the word dinosaur. How did they call it, maybe? Any ideas? Dragon. 
Yeah, and actually the word dragon appears a lot of times also in the Bible. So the people in Babylon, they had an idea of ancient animals. Um, well, and maybe we call them nowadays dinosaurs. So what's the real issue? The Bible doesn't have any problems with dinosaurs. But the real issue behind it is actually a little deeper. And you might have heard of it. The real issue is actually... Well, some people might think if dinosaurs lived so millions of years ago and the fossil record is right, then what about the age of the earth? When the Bible says, well, the, age, uh, the, the, uh, the earth is around 6,000 years old, how does that fit together? Or some people might be afraid and say, well, if dinosaurs say that the earth is old, then maybe the whole evolution thing is true because the evolution says there must be millions and millions of years. So maybe some people have struggles or dislike the poor little dinosaurs, the nice reptiles, because of these issues. So what can we honestly say about that? Does the Bible teach a young earth? Um, do we have a problem with this? Let me just say this. This topic is really, really really, really complicated, and I try to make it really short. But what I can really say about the whole age of the earth thing is this. I am absolutely sure, I am 100% sure, that the earth is at least, at least 32 years old. I, I'm convinced by this. And maybe there are even people in this room who think it's slightly older. But we can debate on that, okay? I have proof for 32 years. So all I say in the end is, uh, are things that happened so long time ago, it's really hard to say. And you should never know, uh, you should never think that we can really truly say anything about it. But let me just explain to you why we think the Earth sometimes is 6,000 years old. So there was a very interesting guy, the Archbishop of Usher in the 17th century, and he said, hmm, Let's count back all the days in the, in the Bible. Let's count all the family trees and all the dates given there and sum them up. And he said, okay, the creation took place 4,004 years before Christ. So they had this, even these old Bible editions, and you can see it in the, in the corner. In some of the old Bible editions, it even says 4,004 AD. So, um, B.C., so actually, that might be true. This is one interpretation of the Bible, and it might be true. That would mean that nowadays we live in a year around 6,000. And the Jews also have this in, her, in their calendar. They say it's around the year 6,000 now. But you can take all these passages and interpret them in a slightly different way also. So some of these family trees in the Bible, for example, they do not really represent a biological family but they often represent like a spiritual family. Um, or we have some time gaps in the Babylon time or in the times of the kings of Judah and Israel. So it's, it's not as easy, but maybe roughly it fits. But just to give you the idea where it comes from. But we don't have to take this interpretation in this way. The Archbishop of Usher did it. Let me give you another hint. We read these famous verses before. So, we can interpret these verses in a very special way. If we take the, the text seriously and look into the Hebrew grammar, 
then we can actually find out that the very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, and so on. It says that the word bara is in one past tense in the Hebrew, and the rest of the book of uh, chapter one, the rest of chapter one, is in another past tense. So this is actually to say that maybe, maybe, we don't have proof for it, but maybe this gap in the grammar here gives us an infinite time, an infinite period of time. So maybe the age of the earth is a little older. You must not believe that. And there are some kinds of doubts around that. And we can talk about this later if you want. Um, but there are different interpretations happening. We can say very young. We can say um, quite older, or at least a little bit older. So the Bible actually never says 6,000 years. She never gives a date. It is all interpretation. So this is the first you can keep in mind. Neither dinosaurs nor the dating of the Bible, the dating of the earth, is a problem for our faith and for our understanding and our authority of the scripture. But what is sometimes happening? And I think in school you often come across this. That people somehow think that the whole science thing and the religious stuff, church on Sunday, and the science stuff Monday to Friday in school, is kind of at war with each other. Yeah, maybe I've met a lot of people who kind of think that. That actually you have to decide between science and faith. And this is what a lot of struggles come from, also with the evolution, age of the earth, dinosaur thing. And I want to say to you today that the act of, of creation, the fact that there was creation, is infinitely more important than how it happened and when it happened. We only have a problem when atheist scientists say something about the earth about the life, what they actually cannot say. But there is not really a problem between science and faith. There is a problem between atheist scientists and Christian scientists. It's a matter of worldviews. You can easily say this. For example, you have Christian scientists doing research on the same stuff as atheist scientists. They both are scientists. It's not a problem with science or faith. In fact, Sir Isaac Newton was a believer, and some hundred years later, his chair in Cambridge was held by Stephen Hawking. He's, he did the same research on gravitation as Sir Isaac Newton did, but he was an atheist. So the struggle is not really faith or science. Let me give you a very easy illustration. This is the most famous German cake. Very, very good. Come to Germany, order a black forest cake. Do it. But this cake can actually help you to think about how faith and science work together. So keep this in mind. Imagine you come home tonight. You come home, and on your kitchen table there is this wonderful cake. And maybe you're a scientist, and you want to find out everything about this cake. So you take the cake, and before eating it, Maybe you eat one slice of it because it's a great German cake. But before you eat it, uh, you take a part of it into your laboratory 
And after a while, all the experiments, you can find out how many chocolate is in there, and how many flour, and how many butter, butter and um, how many sugar, and a little bit of salt. Don't forget the salt, it's very important. And after more experiments, you will be able to find out how much it needs to be in the oven, how long, and at what, what temperature. So science can help answer a lot of questions. But there are at least two questions science can never, ever answer you. The first is, who made the cake? And the second is, why was it made? Science can never tell you by experiments. You need the maker of the cake to show up and reveal himself to you and say, it was me, it is for your birthday. Right? So um, remember this, science and faith give us different perspective uh, on the life, on the questions of life. Science may tell you how, but only faith, only God can tell you why and who. Okay? This is very, very important. Keep that in mind. And keep the cake in mind. In the last hundred years, something extraordinary has happened. And this is maybe the main point I want to tell you tonight. Um, something extraordinary had happened. Over centuries, scientists thought that the universe was eternal, that it was just there. On the contrary, as we have read earlier, the Bible always said there was a beginning. So science and faith didn't really work together very well, right? Science said it is eternal, it's just there, it just happened. And the Bible said in the beginning. So what about creation? Well, there was a quite brilliant guy called Albert Einstein. You may have heard of him. Or Irvin Hubble. Have you heard of these guys? Uh, in the last hundred years, they found out that the universe actually is expanding. It's like a balloon. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they are really good at math. So what they did was they counted backwards. They did the math backwards. And they found out that when something is expanding... I knew that before, but they didn't ask me. If someone, something is expanding, that means that it was smaller in the beginning, that it had a beginning, right? So this is actually what science found out. And scientists now know that the universe had a beginning, and they called it the Big Bang. So the Bible and science are not at war with each other at this point, at this crucial point of our existence. But here comes the issue. Now we have to think about, hmm, what was before? What was before the beginning of the universe? As a Christian, I say, well, God, God was there, and he spoke, and that there, there was light. A scientist says, well, there was nothing. And nothing exploded. Honestly, it, is, it sounds weird, but this is actually the scientific opinion. Did you notice something? I am making a statement of faith. I am saying I believe that in the beginning there was God. The scientist says in the beginning there was nothing. But he can't prove it. So both a scientist and a Christian believer live 
by faith. This is very important. Every human being, every human being lives by faith. Not only religious persons, every human being. We can't prove what was beyond the universe in the beginning. We have to assume, we have to believe something. And everyone lives by faith. As you came into this building, you were trusting the architect that it won't collapse. You were trusting the chairs, the builder of the chairs, that it won't collapse. We all live by faith. And whatever you think about the beginning, it is a faith. The only question is, what faith makes much, the most sense? And as long as I think about it, the Christian worldview, God, makes more and more sense and the only sense of this whole beginning debate. Let me give you this example. This is to show that even science makes more sense if there is a God. This is so important. This will sound a little complicated to you now, but I will, um, I will explain it later. Let me just read it out. This is from an atheist philosopher, one of the wor uh, world's famous philosophers, Thomas Nagel, and he said this. It, is, it sounds complicated, but it has to because he is a philosopher, okay? But I will, I will explain that. He said, if we came to believe that our capacity for objective theory, that is true beliefs, were the product, product of natural selection, that would warrant serious skepticism about its results. So let me explain or translate this into our language. It means that if we believe that natural selection is true, then everything what's uh, existing happened by chance is coincidence. That means that you are here by chance, that your brain developed by chance. So what reason do we have to trust our brain if it works by chance? So imagine I give you a, a cell phone for your birthday, and then you are so happy about it, the new iPhone, well, great. And then I tell you, by the way, it works by chance. So sometimes it does, sometimes not really. You have to be lucky. Would you appreciate that present, that gift? I'm not sure about that. But this is actually what an atheist philosopher says, that if we assume that everything happened by chance, that there is no cause behind it, then how can we rely on our thoughts, our brain, that it is true what we think? So it doesn't really make sense to trust our own thoughts, and therefore science actually has no foundation. But on the contrary, like Sir Isaac Newton, for example, it made total sense to him to do science because he thought there was a lawgiver. There was a God who ordered this universe. So it makes sense to look for laws in nature when there is a lawgiver. It makes total sense to assume that you are not here by chance. I don't know if you have sometimes debates or you come across this whole evolution thing at school. But keep that in mind. Even though, or even if, in some years evolution would be proven right by scientists, even if, then there is still the problem of the beginning. Because evolution 
only says what happens to stuff that is already there. But evolution never says anything about what causes the matter to exist, right? What brings you into existence? What is the first cause? So we have to think about the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or take this example. If we understand the processes, how God does things, the how, then we are like in a, in a factory, of course. And we see all the conveyor belts and how the machines and the robots work together with the, with the employees building the cars step by step. You know the process. But knowing the process does not mean that there is no engineer behind it. It doesn't mean that at the beginning of the process there was an intelligent mind causing it. Understanding the process does not mean that there is no Henry Ford who invented the system. So to sum it up a little bit, there is no problem with dinosaurs, luckily, thanks God. They are part of God's wonderful creation. Unfortunately, most of them are extinct now. We have some smaller lizards left, of course. Whatever you think about biology, about the development of the earth, always think about, in the beginning, God spoke. And it is so fundamental for us that we, what we think about, what you believe about the, the past, because it shapes how we think about our being, our present, and our future. And I told you that it is really hard for us to say anything about the beginning, to date the earth. And I and remember the cake and what I said about the cake. We know nothing about the why and the who unless the maker of the cake shows up. And as a Christian, this is the core of my faith. That the maker of the universe, the creator, actually showed up. He came into this earth at eye level, Jesus Christ so that we can actually know him. We can get our head around him. And what is fascinating about this is it doesn't, didn't happen anywhere or anytime. We can actually say something about it. It happened 2,000 years ago in a distinct country that we now call Israel. And we can do research about this. And this Jesus Christ, he showed that he is the creator by calming the storm. Nature obeyed him. He created wine and bread and fish and new ears and new eyes. And he created new hearts. This is why he came, what he came for. One of my favorite Bible passages is written by Paul. And when I read this, it always reminds me of the first uh, verses in the Bible. Paul writes here, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the faith, face of Jesus Christ. Paul compares the beginning of the universe, let there be light, 
with a new life that Jesus Christ wants to give you. He is the creator who is still creating in us. We are not only biological matter. We are not only physical bodies. Jesus Christ wants to create in us a new life, a soul, an eternal body, eternal life. Daniel once wrote in one of his psalms, Create in me a new heart, O Lord. This is why Jesus Christ came for. And he is still active. We can still ask him and pray to him to change our lives, to create something new in our hearts, to give us a new spirit and lead us into eternal life. He's alive now. And I hope you all can experience this creative power that, uh, that rose Jesus from the dead also in your own life. Uh, and if not, then let's talk about this. Let's pray for this. Whatever you, you want to have from Jesus. What, wherever you, you want creation, a new beginning in your life. His cross and his resurrection says that and shows that this is possible. He wants to create in you uh, a new life, a new eternal life. So both in science and in our faith, in our relation to Jesus Christ, there is still a lot to discover. So let's be curious about that. And let me end with this. Uh, this is a Bible verse that the famous physicist James Clark Maxwell had engraved over his laboratory in Cambridge University. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that through your word we know that our life is, is no coincidence and didn't happen by chance, but that you wanted each of us to be alive. Thank you for your creation and thank you that we are part of this wonderful creation. And we ask you that you would come into our lives with your creative power with your love, with your Holy Spirit, and that you would continue working in us, restore our hearts, restore our lives, um, help us to get to know you better each day, and especially tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the plan is now that my friend and fellow student Don will come up to me. I hope I have uh, stimulated a lot of questions, so we will have some minutes here on the podium, so if you're brave enough, you could just raise your hands and ask some follow-up questions, and Don and I will do our best to, to try to answer them. Uh, Don is uh, from Australia, and he studies with me at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, so we spend our whole day thinking about these big questions about God and the world and yeah, maybe you have some questions about the talk or something in general what, what you can't get your head around that. So, the first person to ask a question is always the bravest. Yeah, there's one.
If someone didn't take it literally? Yeah, the, as long as I study this topic, uh, the, the more complicated it gets, actually. So I wouldn't say that there is an easy answer to this. What, what theologians, in the meanwhile, agree on, actually, that the Genesis 1 is not simply poetry. That's what most theologians agree on. It's not simply poetry. It's something beyond poetry. It's something more. Um, and actually, I... I can understand the reasons why one would take this literally. I am more on the side to take it literally, actually. I am more on this like straightforward creationist side. But you find reasons for, for almost every view on this. So what I try, how I try to make sense of these days is actually called the framework hypothesis. So if you Google this, because there is something very fascinating about the six days. If you, uh, if you take them and order them, on the one side, day one, two, three, and on the other side, uh, day five, four, six, you see that they fit together. So on day one, there is the let there be light, and it fits to day four where it says, or it describes the lights, the moon and the sun. On day two, you have the land and the sea, and the day uh, five, it describes how the sea animals and the land animals are created. How the land that was in this column was formed was now filled. And on day three and day six, you have finally the, the, the land animals and the human beings there. So, and what is fascinating about this is that on day three, when the animals are made, uh, sorry, four and six, no, three and six. Three is, no, um, yeah. One, two, three, I need a bulb now. So <laughs> when the animals are made, um, uh, yeah, right, it was right. So when the plants are made, and when the humans are made, these are the only two days when God speaks twice. So you always have God speaks, God speaks on the days, but there are two days when God speaks twice. This is fascinating. Because as, as we now uh, read in John, in the beginning was the word. We have this idea that God creates through his word, through information. His uh, creative power comes through words. And what evolution scientists can't get their head around is this, that we can't explain how non-living material becomes alive. It's a huge problem in evolution theory. So this would be the day when God speaks twice. So it's, it needs an extra creation word of God to make dead things alive. And on the sixth day, when the humans were created, it takes an extra creative act, an extra creative word. So we are distinct of the animal kingdom. It needs an extra creative word of God to make the humans. And this is exactly what evolution th uh, 
scientists struggle with. How does dead things come alive? And how, the, how is the human being distinct from animals? So even though it, is, it has some poetic characters with the three and days on this side and three days on this side, and it's like a chorus saying it was evening, it was morning the first day, even though there's a lot of truth behind it, actually. So it is not easy to make, to have a clear answer um, to this. But it's fascinating how much wisdom is in there. Even if it would be mere poetry, there would be still a lot of wisdom in there. Um, I hope that fit the question a little bit. Like you need a lot, you need to, yeah, please. Um, just in the matter of, I don't know if this is working, just in the matter of um, the criticism that we don't take, uh, if we don't take Genesis literally, uh, we run the risk of not taking the whole Bible literally. Um, uh, one of our lecturers, Dr. John Lennox, always says, you know, no one really fully takes the Bible literally, and we, we shouldn't. Um, and to that, a lot of people get upset with him, but he says that, you know, when Jesus said, I am the door, no one thinks that he's actually a physical wooden door. Um, and he's speaking an allegory, and that's okay. Um, because every metaphor, you know, whenever we use metaphor for something, um, it, it still represents a truth. And so, in scho modern scholarship these days, when we talk about, uh, you know, reading the Bible literally, am I loud enough? It's awkward. Oh, that one? Oh, oh wow. Um, so when we talk about speaking, uh, reading the Bible literally, uh, modern scholarship, we talk about talking, uh, reading scripture literalistically, which is a snobby kind of distinction between the two. But it's uh, essentially taking the, you know, taking the words within the context to understand what they mean as to taking them at face value every single time. I think if we do that with the whole Bible, um, we, we still run the risk of, of misinterpreting things. Did that fit to your question? Um, yeah. yeah, okay. What are your questions? Everything clear now? All the questions solved? All the riddles? Yeah. When the Bible mentions like, the behemoth and the Leviathan and things, mm. do you think they're actually, they, they could have actually been creatures or are they allegorical? Are they Sorry, which ones? The Leviathan. Yeah, so... I, I think so, because why not? <laughs> um, the Bible uses a lot of allegories and metaphors, uses a lot of animals to describe something. So why, if God wanted to make clear a point, he could have chosen an elephant or a lion, which he uses all through the Bible. So there is no point to doubt this, actually. Yeah, there is no real reason, why not? Yeah. If we don't believe in millions of years, um, what happened to the dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, I have a great slide for you. That will be a surprise for some of you. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, so, as paleontologist called Michael Schweitzer found out in the last years, she dug out a Tyrannosaurus rex, which is allegedly... 68 million years old, and this is what she found inside the bones. She found actually blood and soft tissue 
inside dinosaur bones. So this means either that the dinosaurs are not as old as we think or that the whole process of fossilization that scientists uh, believe in is, has to be changed or has to be thought through again. It's wrong, um, which is very interesting. I, I, I'm sorry about all the Jurassic Park fans in there. They have not yet uh, um, succeeded in taking DNA out of this uh, restless. Um, but they are searching for it. Um, so, but this is really, really an issue that the, in the bones that should actually be fossilized by now, if the millions of years are true, um, they still find soft tissue, right? In many samples, not only one. Um, it's very interesting. So, this is one solution to this problem. And one other thing is, as I said, um, the Bible never really gives one year, one date. So it is all interpretation. And maybe the time gaps are only some 10,000 years. So maybe we have a 50,000-year-old Earth, uh, not a million years old. There's a lot of astronomical problems with this also, because if the millions and millions and billions a year of years are true, like a 40-billion-year universe, we wouldn't expect to find stars, because all the stars should have been disappeared by now. Um, burned out. Uh, this is one interesting thing, for example. So. But this is the most interesting fact, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure if I want them to find DNA, but <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park might get more realistic. Okay. Um, Don and I would just appreciate if we can chat afterwards. Um, we really are really glad that you had us. Uh, thank you very much. And I think I hand on to some closing prayers or closing songs.